Have you ever seen church signs? I'm so thankful we're not able to put a message on our church sign. Because some of them just, uh, just sometimes they kind of send mixed messages. A couple of church signs I've seen uh, at different places. One is this. Don't let worry kill you. Let the church help. That just does not send a clear message, does it? And this next one, I'm not sure about this, but maybe you can explain it after the service. Uh, on the church sign, it said this. Find out about hell. Come hear our preacher. I don't know about that. And here's one that really just, I really don't know how to take this one, is uh, we love hurting people. I think I know what the intent is. I'm not sure it communicates to people driving by. And here's one that's really confusing. If you have children and don't know it, we have a nursery downstairs. I've got two kids, and I've known it every single day they've been alive. Well, church signs are, are funny things, absolutely are. This last several weeks, we've been looking at a message series I've called Discovering Jesus. And over these last several weeks, we've looked at uh, the identity of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus. We've looked at the prayers of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, and the gospel of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and what it means for us. Today, we're going to look at the church of Jesus. What is the church? Why am I a part of it? Why am I asked to be a part of a church? What is the big deal about the church? What is the church? Well, if you were to look up the meaning of the word church in the Greek language in which the New Testament was written, the, the word you would find there for church is the Greek word ekklesia, which literally means an assembly of those who are called out. The assembly of those who are called out. The picture here is being called out from among other people into a distinct assembly of like-minded people. In the days of the New Testament, that was not necessarily a religious word or a spiritual word. It just meant a called-out assembly for a purpose. And Jesus, when he created the church and founded the church, uh, founded an a organization, an organism, if you will, of people who are called out distinctly from the world around them and called into a particular purpose uh, that Christ gives for us. In the Holman Bible Dictionary, it tells us that in the New Testament, there are over 100 descriptions of the church. More than 100. Maybe you can name all those, or maybe, like me, you want to find out what they are and better understand the church. Do you think you understand the church and what it's all about and what its purposes are and what the meaning of it is? And would you be able to articulate that to somebody else? Well, today, we're going to take just a few minutes and in all too brief a time, overview what the scriptures tell us about the church from the words of Jesus and from the words in the pages of the New Testament. So today I want us to look at four facts about the church. And would you stand with me as we talk about the first one? Four facts about the church. And the first fact is this, and that is that Jesus is the builder of the church. When we think about the church, we have to start with the fact that the church is built by Jesus. And the scripture tells us about that. For example, in Matthew chapter 16, verses 16 to 18, we find these words. Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son 
of the living God. Now, I want you to notice that, that verse up there, Matthew 16 and verse 16. This is a key foundational verse in the scriptures as it relates to the church. It says, Simon Peter replied, Jesus had asked, who do people say I am? And so Simon uh, replied this. I want you to say the words with me that Peter said. Ready? Say them with me. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 17 says, Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Our Heavenly Father, this morning, as we gather and as we have sung and as we worship and as we share and as we open now your word, we ask that you would speak to us from the truth on the pages of Scripture through the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit that is in this room that we might come to be reminded and even to better understand the church, what it is and what it's all about, and may it impact our lives and through our lives would you impact the world as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So fact number Jesus is the builder of the church. I want you to notice a couple of things. And, and we'll start by saying this, that, that really the church is all about Jesus. Can somebody say amen to that? The church is all about Jesus. It is, it is not about me. The church is about the plans of Jesus, not the plans of the pastor or the church. The, the church is about the procedures of Jesus and the authority of Jesus and the mission of Jesus. The church exists because Jesus is the builder of the church and he called the church forward. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things about the church here. One is the foundation of the church. There is a foundation. Just if you're going to build any building, there has to be some sort of a foundation. And Jesus refers to that here when he talks about, uh, in verse number 18, he says, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, this, this foundation. And so we think about the, the foundation of the church. And as we think about the foundation of the church, I, I would simply point this out. If you know anything about building, you know this, that if you have a faulty foundation, you have a shaky structure. And uh, more often than not, when you see a, a, a storm come by or, uh, or a hurricane or things, you find that there are some houses that hold up better than others because of their foundations. A, a firm foundation leads to a solid structure. A shaky foundation leads to a shaky structure as well. And so, so Jesus says, on this rock, on this foundation, I will build my church. He's not talking about a physical building, he's talking about an assembly of people called out from the world for a particular purpose that he has created. But the foundation is the statement that Jesus made, that, that Peter made, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's why I called your attention back to verse 16. Because when Peter said, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, you are the promised one, you are the Son of God. Jesus said that statement, that phrase, is the rock upon which I'm going to build my church. Now, now some have, have pointed out a couple of interesting, uh, a little wordplay that Jesus uses here, that when, uh, when Jesus names, renames Simon and he names him Peter, he names him in Greek a word that equivalently, equivalently means small stone.'" 
says, Peter, you're a small stone. And, and the word there uh, for a small stone is, is Petros. And then Jesus said this, upon this rock, not a small stone, Petros, but a large stone, Petra. Upon this Petra, the, the, the stone, the rock, the, the, the statement that Peter had said, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that phrase is the foundation upon which Jesus would build the church. Jesus did not build the church on Peter. He did not build the church on the other disciples. He did not build the church on anyone else. He built it on himself because he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Notice also here there's the ownership of the church. If we're not careful... I know this has never happened at Ridgecrest Baptist Church, but if we're not careful, it has happened in other churches, by the way, if we're not careful, we can start thinking of a local church as, as my church or as our church, when the reality is it's Jesus' church. Notice the statement he says here uh, in verse number 18. He says, I will build my church. Now notice that statement, I will build my church church. Who does that refer to in both cases? It refers to Jesus. And the church belongs to him. There, there are people that love the church and love the church of Jesus and they come to the church and, and they are a part of the church and they follow the purposes of the church. There are people from time to time that say, well, I don't like that church. I don't like the church of Jesus. I'm going to go out and start my own church. And so they have done that. And, and I would say that any church that is founded and built upon anything else other than the statement that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that church will fail. Amen. And so it is Jesus' church. In fact, the church is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You might say, well, well Mark, the, the, the church has changed over time. It's different. The church now looks different than it did when I was a kid. And, and, and I would say, well, certainly, uh, you know, we can, we, can, we can put pictures up on the screen. I'm not, I don't have those this morning, but we can put pictures on the screen of, of how church sanctuaries have changed over time. We can put pictures on the, on the screen of, of, of great cathedrals from the Middle Ages, of, 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 of uh, clapboard wooden structures from the turn of the, of the 1900s. Uh, we, we can look at, at, at uh, churches that I've seen pictures where they had to raise the windows because they didn't have air conditioning yet. And they had fans. You might remember days we had the fans in church? Not, not the ceiling fans, the, the hand fans. Amen? The funeral fans. That's right. That's right. Sponsored by your local funeral home, BR549. Give us a call, right? So church structures have changed. Church, church dress has changed. There, there was a time... When if you went to church as a man, you had a suit and a tie on. And if you went to church as a lady, you had a dress, but not just a dress. You had gloves and you had a what? You had a hat on. And if you were a man, you had not only your suit, you had a hat, not just a hat. You had what kind of hat? A fedora. And so you had to dress the right way. Well, things, times have changed with that. You might say, well, you know, the, the, the young people have changed. The youth ministry has changed. The children have changed. The program has changed. The music has changed. All these things have changed in church. But, and, and that has changed from generation to generation to generation. But here's the reality. The church of Jesus Christ has not, will not, is not going to change one iota. How we carry out church may change, but the church is a church built on the foundation that Jesus Christ is Lord, the Son of the living God. He is the Christ. The church is not going to change with the tide, with the culture, with the language. The church is not going to change because of technology or people or popularity or persecution. The church 
will always exist founded upon Jesus Christ. I want you to notice thirdly here, there's an aggressiveness of the church. The church is called to be aggressive. Aggressive with the statement that makes us the church. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Notice what Jesus said there in verse 18. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, interesting, when, when this event took place, Jesus had his 12 followers, the 12 disciples, and he had gone north in Israel, almost to the very top of Israel. There was a place called Caesarea Philippi. It was named after Caesar by, by one of the kings. And, and at this place, Caesarea Philippi, there was this outcropping of rock. And, uh, and there, was, it was literally called the gates of hell. And it was called that for a variety of reasons. For one reason, it was a place of great immorality. If you have a Bible dictionary or, or when you get home after church, don't do it while I'm preaching, please. But after you get home after church, Google the gates of hell in Caesarea Philippi and it'll, it'll pull up the history of that place. And, and there was pagan worship. There was sexual immorality as a part of the worship of pagan gods. There was, it was a spiritual red light district. And people would say, you don't want to go there. You don't want to go and be around what, what they have around. It's what I would tell my kids. You don't need to go there. And yet Jesus took his followers to that location. And that's where they were. And Jesus, at that place, asked the question, Who do people say I am? And Peter responded, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus said, I will build my church on this rock, the statement that I'm the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then perhaps they were right outside this place called the gates of hell. And perhaps Jesus pointed to it and said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Now the gates of hell literally is a physical place. It's a cave. And the cave is looked at as the place where spirits would go into the underworld and out of the underworld into our realm. And so it was looked at as a doorway. So the, literally, there weren't gates, it was just a cave, but literally it was looked at as a doorway into the underworld, the place of the dead and of the spirits, how they would pass back and forth. And so the gates of hell, Jesus said, pagan, idolatry, immorality, all these things that were rampant in the day in which Jesus lived and in the place at which Jesus was standing and among the people to whom Jesus was talking, Jesus said this message, this foundation, the church, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, when that message is boldly proclaimed and taken even to a place called the gates of hell, they will not be able to withstand this message because this is the most powerful message the world has ever known. And nobody will hold back the message of the gospel. A couple of lessons from this. One is, is that we should not avoid or fear the dark places of the world spiritually. We should not avoid or fear those who are immoral, those who act in ungodly ways. We should, we should not shy away from taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. We must be strong enough in our faith. We must always be careful to be above reproach and not get sucked in, absolutely. But we should not hold back from taking the message to the very gates of hell in the world in which we live. I, uh, uh, instead, as I've heard somebody say, as believers, we need to be so full of the Holy Spirit that we stormed the gates of hell with a water gun. You ever heard that said before? Now I want to show you a picture. You see the picture up on the screen. 
and uh, very handsome men there in that picture. There's my son Ben here on the right, that's Sid Stone, that's Clay Eaton, Rod King, and me, and then a guy from another church. We're standing in Israel at Caesarea Philippi in the year 2011. We're standing at the entrance to the gates of hell, the very place where Jesus was at when he said these words. And you can't see it in the picture, but, but into the stone in many different places around that area are carved all kind of places where they would set idols and where structures were attached and where pagan idolatry and worship took place. And so we were there as we were touring Israel. And, and as we toured Israel uh, and, and, and were there, I told the guys, I said, let's get here at the entrance to the gates of hell and let's hold up our squirt guns. That's what we're doing. And so the point is that, that God has given us a message. He's given us a church. He's given us a, a, a structure and he's given us a, a, a foundation upon which nothing can withstand. And so we need to not be afraid and not avoid even the dark places in the world. Something else we need to be mindful of is that Jesus wins. We're on the winning side. Now, it may look like from time to time, and throughout history, there have been many times we could point to where it seems like that the, that the evil side is winning and may wind up winning. We know from the Scripture and we know from who Jesus is that He wins. And so regardless of how any, uh, any spiritual atmosphere there is at any given time, at any given place, in the end, we're on the winning side. Therefore, we can take heart and we can take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And then the third lesson here is to be strong in our faith. You see, if we're weak in our faith, and if we happen to be embarrassed or ashamed of the message of the gospel, we're going to be of no use to the church. We're going to be of no use to Christ. He may have a person that he wants you to talk to. That nobody else in the world can talk to that person about Christ because that person will not listen to the pastor. That person will not listen to the TV preacher or the radio preacher. That person will not go online and find a pastor preaching and listen to that pastor. But that person with doubts and questions and fears and a hunger to know God will listen to you. And God may have somebody that he wants you to go and speak to about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're weak in your faith or embarrassed of the gospel or ashamed or afraid to take that message to that person, then we can't be of any use to God. Paul said in, in a little bit later in the New Testament, Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He would say, I talk about it everywhere I go. I talk about it when people listen and respond and believe. I talk about it when people reject it and persecute me for saying it. But he said, I'm not ashamed of it. It is who I am. It's not just the message I preach. It's the message that I live, he would say. So he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. It is the resurrection power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now, do we believe that message? That the gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who will believe. If we believe it, then we should go out and we should look for every opportunity. I'm not talking about being rude to people. I'm not talking about cramming it down their throats. I'm talking about prayerfully looking for opportunities. Lord, who would you have me speak to today? 
Could it be the, the person that lives in my house? Could it be the person that works with me in the cubicle next door? Could it be the, the mailman that comes down, the waitress at the, at the restaurant, the, the checkout person at Walmart or the grocery store? Could it be the, the neighbor down the street or the person I talk to on the phone? Lord, who today could be the one? And as, if you're willing, then the Lord will open those doors of opportunity, and it will be amazing how God can use you in some form or some fashion. So we see here that Jesus is the builder of the church, I want us to notice a second fact about the church, and that is that Jesus is the head of the church. And we need to be mindful that Jesus is the head of the church. I want you to listen to the words of Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 and verse 23 says this, Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being Savior of the body. That's who Jesus is, the head of the church. In 1 Corinthians 11, in verse number 3, it says, He, that's Jesus, is also head of the body, the church, and He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself will come to have first place in everything. Don't you notice that? First place in everything, head of the church. And so, so we can confidently say that the church is all about Jesus, and the church is not about me in any way whatsoever. We could say this, that Jesus makes the rules for the church. We could say that it's not up to the members to decide uh, things about the church. It's not up to the deacons to decide about the church. It's not up to the pastor to decide about the church. It's not up to denominations to decide about the church. It's not up to the people, and it certainly is not up to the culture, which is trying to mold and shape the church to the way they want it to be. Each may try to be the head, but none is the head of the church except our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that He is the head of the church and no one else uh, in this world? We find from Jesus, and several things I'd point out all too quickly here, we find that it is Jesus who brings us the very presence of God. That's who Jesus is. That's why He's the head. He brings the presence of God. Uh, secondly, He defines salvation and forgiveness for us. He says in John 3, 16, that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Those are the, that is the, the, the definition of salvation and forgiveness. It is Jesus who defines unrighteousness and sin and the consequences of sin. Jesus determines all of these things. It's not the church. So often we get the blame for it, and we get the blame, I know, because we're associated with Jesus, but the reality is we don't vote on morality, do we, at church? We don't get to vote or have a say on, 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 on this issue or that issue because the, the authority we have comes from our Lord Jesus Christ. For example, in Galatians 5, 19 to 21, uh, we find these words. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, now all too quickly, I would point out a couple of things here. Is if we're not careful, it's real easy for us to, to get all high and mighty and holy and start pointing fingers at maybe people out in the community or, or different groups of folks where these things obviously apply to them but not to us but the reality is in our hearts we're all guilty of all of these things nobody said amen to that <laughs> in our hearts 
We're, each one of us are guilty of all of these things. And that's why it's so important that we embrace the foundation and the message of the church, which is Jesus Christ is the Son of God, came into the world to take away our sins when he died on the cross and shed his blood. See, the message of the church is not just what we proclaim to others. It's what we have believed ourselves and have been delivered from our nature. And therefore, we go out and share the good news to others that they can be delivered from their sins just like we've been delivered from ours. It's not that we're some religious group of people that are high and holy and, and other than. We are just like them except for we've been delivered. It is Jesus who declares the difference that the Spirit of God makes in our life. The next couple of verses in Galatians 5 say this, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Jesus is the head of the church, so Jesus gets to make the rules for how things are done. It is Jesus who declares the truth to us about mankind and about marriage and about morality. It is Jesus who declares the truth about who he is and what he does and who we are and our great need for him. That's how we find out about the gospel. In Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 to 8, there is a description of Jesus walking among the churches there in, in the book of Revelation. And here's what it says about Jesus, the head of the church. It says that He is eternal. He was and is and is to come. It says there that He is the faithful witness to us about God. How do we know about God? Because Jesus tells us about God. It tells us that Jesus is the firstborn of the dead because of His resurrection. It tells us that He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. He has authority. It tells us that He loves us. Somebody say amen to that. He loves us. There in those verses we find that it is Jesus who has freed us from our sins by His blood. It goes all the way back to the foundational message of the church. We find in Revelation 1, 4-8 that He has made us a kingdom of priests to His God and Father. We are set apart and to be used for the purposes of God because of what Jesus has done for us. We see also that He has glory and dominion forever and ever. And we see this too. He's, he's coming one day with the clouds. He's coming back. Now, all these things are true about Jesus, and none of, the, none of these things about Jesus apply to anybody else who has ever lived, and that's what makes Jesus the head of the church. The church belongs to Him. Now, thirdly, facts about the church. We look and we see that Jesus is the builder, and Jesus is the head. But thirdly, we notice this, that the church is the body of Christ. In the Bible, we see that the church, the, the called out ones, the ecclesia, the called out ones become the body of Christ. We are the hands, we are the feet, we are the mouth, we are those who go out in the name of Jesus. I want you to, to listen to a couple of Bible verses here. The first is in Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 4 to 8. But I'm just going to read the first couple. And starting in verse 4, it says this, For as in one body we have many members... And the members do not all have the same function. Now picture real quickly a person's body. 
There's one body, but in the body or in any body are many different members. For example, there are five fingers on our hands. There's a, there's a head on our shoulders. There's a brain in our head, hopefully. There's, there's legs and there's feet and there's, there's different parts of the body, and yet it's one body. That's what he's saying here. And then in verse 5 of Romans 12, it says, So we, though many, are one body in Christ, though there are many different ones of us in this congregation, in this room that we're in right now. And when I leave here, I'll go out to the gym and those people that are different than us and, and they'll be different out there as well. But together, we who are different form one body and that is the body of Christ. And it says individually, we are members one of another. We belong to each other. We're connected. You know, you take a finger, my my. my Trigger finger here can do a lot of wonderful things as long as it's connected to the rest of the members of my body. But when it's gone and separated from, it is no good whatsoever. And then in verse 6 of Romans 12, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. In other words, each one of us is a different part of the body of Christ and we each are a member of the body of Christ and we each have a function. And the scripture says, find out what your function is and put it to work for the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you're doing your, the, the annual uh, or, or the weekly Bible reading with us each week this year, Roman, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 was part of our Bible passage this past week. But in, in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, we, we find these words, starting in verse number 12. It says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. In other words, members individually are members, but together they make up one body. Individually, we may be a whole bunch of faces in the crowd, but together we make up one body, which is Christ. Verse 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Just as a finger on a hand is an individual member, it is also a part of the body as a whole. Each one of us plays that same role as, as we know Jesus as our Savior. In Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 15, it says, We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. In other words, we each find our part, we each execute our part, and the body then is healthy and grows. Ephesians 5.23 says, Christ is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. And so a couple of lessons, again, I would point out for us about these particular passages of Scripture. That is, every believer... Every Christian is a part of the body of Christ. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. We all are connected to the body. We also learn here that every part of the body has a function. You might think, well, there's nothing I can do. There's no skills that I have. There's no abilities that I can contribute to the body. Well, that would be very incorrect based on the scripture because each one of us has a function and a role to play in the body of Christ. Also, I'd point this out, that the body is most healthy when each member does its part and works with the other parts. When, when, when you and I discover this is my part of the body and we then use it, that's when the body, the body of Christ, the church, is most healthy. And likewise, the body is unhealthy when members 
are missing or sick or inactive. So, so that if I decide, well, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to discover what my role is, and I'm not going to use my, my gifts and abilities in the church, it might be the equivalent uh, of the local body of believers missing, uh, missing an arm. If, if, my, if my, my gift is to serve, maybe be the church would be, would be down an arm because, uh, because I'm not willing to do my part. I'm not available to do my part. So, so the church is most healthy when we find and carry out our parts uh, of the body. It is most unhealthy when we sit back and, and we're not involved in that way. So, so let me ask you this question. If you are a believer and a follower of Christ, let me ask you this. Do you know what your role is in the body? Do you know personally what God has equipped and gifted you to do in the body. Now, if you look at 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans chapter 12 and Ephesians 4, the same passages I just mentioned, they're listed in your listening guide. If you read back through there, you see a long list of different types of functions of the members of the church, everything from preaching to serving to extending mercy to being generous, all these different things that when they come together make the church healthy, but they're made up of individual members. So let me ask you, do you know personally what your gift, what your body part of, as being a member of the church, do you know how God has equipped and put you here? And if you do, I want to encourage you to plug in and use it to the best of your abilities with the help of God to make a difference for the kingdom. And if you don't, I'd, I'd first of all pat you on the back and say, that's okay. And I'd say, do all you can to find out. Well, Pastor Mark, how can I find out my role in the body? A couple of ways. Pray and ask God to show you. And then just like when you go to the, to the store to, try on, to get a new outfit, you try on different clothes, try on different things and see how it fits. Go call Lisa Ashworth and go back to the preschool ministry and see, maybe I have gifts and abilities in the preschool ministry. And surprisingly, you might find out you do. And surprisingly, you might find out you don't. And if that's not your area, that's fine. Don't go back there if it's not your area. You might find out that you have gifts and abilities that would put you in the choir singing praises to God and leading others to sing praises to God. And if that's your gift and you talk to Al and Al hear, hears you, he might say, come on and join the choir. And that would be a wonderful contribution to the church. And others like me, Al looks at and says, do not get anywhere close to the choir loft anytime we're singing. That's okay. Because it, uh, learning what my gift is not is just as important as learning what it is. Try them on, find out, and keep going until suddenly something will happen. And it might be awkward, it might be, it might be surprising, it might be something you've never thought of, but something inside eventually will click and God will say, this is your part in the body. Now do it for my glory. Well, lastly, I'd say this, the church is the bride of Christ. That's the fourth fact about the church. Jesus is the builder, Jesus is the head, the church is the body of Christ, and we see now the church is the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5, 22 to 33, this whole passage and section of Scripture talks about husbands and wives. And uh, at, at the end of talking about husbands and wives, there in verse number 31, uh, Paul repeats from, from Genesis 2 and Matthew 19, Paul says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. And then he says this, after talking about marriage, he says, this mystery of marriage is profound, but I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. So, so the teaching is this. When we look at a husband and a wife, we're looking at God's illustration of what the church is supposed to look like. 
When, when people see the role of a godly husband, they should see the role that Christ plays for the church, sacrificially serving for the betterment of his bride. And when we see the, the, the role of a wife in a godly marriage, we should see as someone who is a partner and is willing to follow and go along for the glory of God and for the blessing of the home. And that together, when those two fit together, it's a beautiful testimony of who God is, but it's also a picture of Christ and the church. In, in Revelation chapter 19, it says this, Let's rejoice and exalt and give God the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. That's the church. And it was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. In the Holman Bible Dictionary, it says, The bridal imagery is used to indicate the great love which God has for His people. No image could express better this love than the ideal love between bridegroom and bride. Now let me conclude with a couple of things. Asking again the question, what's so great about the church? What's the big deal about the church? Well, I hope you've seen in, in this very brief overview that the church is a big deal. The church is the bride of Christ. And one day as the church will be presented to him in the, in the marriage feast of the Lamb in heaven. And I don't know all the details. I don't know how it's going to work. There's beautiful pictures in Revelation. But even that is just a glimpse of what it will be like. But understand, one day we'll be presented to Christ in heaven. That's a big deal. It's also under, important to understand that on earth, we as the church are the body of Christ, his hands, his feet, his mouth, to get the message out and to bring glory and honor to God. That's a big deal. It's also important to recognize that Jesus is the head of the church. He could be head of any corporation he wanted to, but he's chosen to be the head of the church, and that's a big deal. And he's also the builder, the owner, the foundation of the church. That's a big deal. And invites you, invites you and I to come and be a part of the church. His body, his bride, where he is the head and he is the builder. So what's the big deal about being a member of a church? I put four words across the bottom of your listening guide. You'll also see them up on the screen. I'll be really brief here. To belong to a church, and I don't mean just attend a church, but to be, belong to a church as in become a member, of, let's just say a member of a Baptist church. There's at least four reasons that this is so important. One is your membership is a testimony. When, when you belong to a church, but this church in particular, your membership is a testimony that says, I believe in Jesus I believe in him as the builder and the foundation. I believe that I'm a part of the body. I believe that I'm a part of the bride of Christ. I identify with Christ and the fact that he died for my sins, was buried and raised again. When we're baptized and, and put under the water and raised back up, we're painting a picture of what Jesus has done for us. It is a personal testimony that says, I believe. And so when you say that you're a member of a Baptist church in general, but of Ridgecrest Baptist in particular, your membership states in and of itself that you testify that the truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, that, that, that He is your, your Savior and your God, and that you have identified with Him. So it's a testimony of your faith. Secondly, it's an identity. You say, you know, I'm a member of the body of Christ. There's, there's two ways that, that we understand from the scripture about, about the body of Christ being a part. One is the, the universal church. When I became a Christian, when you became a Christian, if you are, 
We each became a part of what's called the universal church, the church of Christ for all time, all places, all ages. We're a part of that body and we're going to heaven and that's a wonderful thing. But being a part of a local church is important. Your membership in a local church is your identity with that church. More than saying, I'm going to attend there. More than saying, I'm going to put money in the offering plate there. It, it is your identity with that church. It's the equivalent of putting on a, a jersey for a sports team. Now this morning, uh, I want to let you know, uh, Karen, I want to let you know, Joe and I did not get in a fight this morning. Okay, We did not. Joe Yandel and I, our children's director, we had door duty at 8, at 8 o'clock out here at the main entrance of the church. It was a little chilly. Do you notice it was chilly this morning? Al, did you wear a hat to church this morning when you came? Well, I wore, I had my UNC hat. Do you know why? I pulled for the Tar Heels. Amen? Amen. I had my hat on. I represent, right? Well, Joe was, was manning the handicap door, and Joe had his Duke hat on. It could have gotten ugly. <laughs> but it didn't, because Joe would have whooped me. Anyway, I, I represent my team. I have T-shirts I wear out. I, I have a, a sticker on my car. I, I associate. I, I pull for my team. Joe pulls for his team. You pull for your team. Or you might, you might boldly proclaim you don't pull for any team. That's all right, too. But listen, when you join and become a member of a Baptist church, you're testifying to your faith, but you're identifying with that particular local church that this is where you belong. This is your team. This is who you are a part of. And notice, thirdly, you become part of the family. You become a part of the family. You know, when, when you're dating someone and you go to a family reunion, you're, you're certainly an invited guest and you're glad to be there. But when push comes to shove, you're not part of that family. But when you marry into the family or when you get adopted into the family, that's now your family. And the same is true when you're part of a church. Everybody's welcome all the time, attenders and, and, and folks. You're always welcome to be a part of what we do here. But when you become a member, you're saying, this is my family. I testify to my faith in Christ. I identify this is the people I, I'm a part of, and it's my family. It's more than just a casual acquaintance, more than just friends. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And then notice, fourthly, the word activity. This is where we are, the hands and the feet and the mouth of Jesus. We go out into the community. We go out everywhere we possibly can. We invite people to come. We share with them about our church so that we can share with them about our Savior. And we share with people about our Savior in the hopes that they will become part of this church, the church of Jesus Christ. So I would ask you this morning, I'd ask you to stand. And Al's going to come and... We're going to sing a song about the church here in just a moment. I've asked Al if we could sing it today. And as we sing it, I want to ask you to consider the importance of the church. Consider the things that we've talked about today. Because what I've shared with you, not just my thoughts, I probably would do it a lot differently, which is a good thing I'm not in charge. But in sharing with you Bible truths about the church, I would ask you to examine the importance of the church and your relationship to the church and your activity in the church, your church family, your church identity, your faith testimony, and simply ask the Lord, Lord, what is my next step of faith? What is my next step of obedience? And you might know what it is right now. Step out and do it. Step out and be who God's called you to be so that together we can be who God has called us to be so that the gospel can go forth and Jesus can be praised. And knowing that as we go out, even the gates of hell itself will not be able to stand up to the message 
that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so our Heavenly Father, this morning, I thank you that folks have been so attentive and so kind to listen to what I've had to share. And I pray, Lord, that what I've shared has been straight from the Scriptures and been empowered by your Spirit. Lord, may people long forget who I am and what I say, but may they long remember the truth of your Word and the presence of your Spirit and the life change that comes to all who put their faith and their trust in you. And so I ask our Heavenly Father, even now, as we have this last song, as we invite people to do something about that which they've just heard, that, Lord, we all might respond in faith and obedience from right where we are, whatever our next step is, and press it upon our hearts and give us a willingness to obedience as we pray in Christ's name. Amen.